as we uh, come together this Sunday morning, beautiful day, beautiful people here. I'm really blessed and humbled to be with you all. I want to uh, start out by uh, praying um, as we open up God's Word and pray with me, please. Father, thank you for gathering your children here this morning. Thank you for calling each of us by name, waking each of us up this morning and sending us to this place, gathering us here so that we could worship you. And please, as we open up your word and learn from the word made flesh, your son, Jesus, that uh, these words that we're reading discussing today, they won't just stay on the pages of a book or on my lips, but they'll penetrate into our minds and our hearts, our lives, and out into the world as well as we see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read uh, the passage. We're in 1 Corinthians, and is the microphone too loud? That's not too quiet, I'm sure of that. But that's, okay, good. It's a good thing that I'm reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is not one of the shorter chapters, and so bear with me. Um, but it's a good thing to listen to the word. As Matt mentioned a couple weeks, or Bill mentioned a couple weeks ago, most people back in the day when this was originally written as a letter, it was sent as a letter, but one person would be the, the carrier of it and then read it to the community and help them understand it as well. And so that's my task today, um, to read this and then help us understand it the best that I can and by God's grace. So let's read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I have the Common English Bible. I think it uh, has pretty easy to understand vernacular. Uh, even more fun read might be the message. If you want to go home later and read that, it's, uh, it hits home well and relates well, but it's even longer. So we'll just stick with this one for now. Any version you have is fine. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be sure of the fact that our ancestors in the faith were all under the cloud and they all went through the sea. I'm talking about the Exodus. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from a spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. However, God was unhappy with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. Remember, of all the people who came out of Egypt and went to the wilderness on the way to the promised land, only two actually got to enter the promised land. I'll have a quiz on that later. These things were examples for us, so we won't crave evil things like they did. Don't worship false gods like some of them did. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to play. The direct quote from Exodus 32 the golden calf. Let's not practice sexual immorality, which is also linked with idol worship, in Numbers 25, like some of them did, and 23,000 died in one day. Let's not test Christ, like some of them did, and were killed by snakes. That's the worst. Let's not grumble, like some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as an example and were written for us as a warning for For us to whom the end of the time has come. So those who think they are standing need to watch out or else they might fall. No temptation has seized you that isn't common for people. But God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. 
Instead, with the temptation, God will supply a way out. So you will be able to endure it. So then, my dear friends, run away from the worship of idols. I'm talking to you like you're sensible people. Think about what I'm saying. Isn't the cup of blessing that we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? And isn't the loaf that we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there's one loaf of bread, we who are many are made one. Because we all share of the one loaf. Look at the people of Israel. Don't those who eat the sacrifices share in the altar? Look at what I'm, what am I saying then? The food sacrificed to a false god is anything? Or that a false god is anything? No. But this kind of sacrifice is sacrificed to demons, not to God. And I don't want you sharing in demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't participate in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or should we make the Lord jealous? We aren't stronger than him, are we? Everything is permitted, but everything isn't beneficial. Everything is permitted, but everything doesn't build others up. It's not loving. No one should look out for their own advantage, but they should look out for each other. Eat everything sold in the marketplace without asking questions about it because of your conscience. The earth and all that is in it belong to the Lord. If an unbeliever invites you to eat with them, go. Eat whatever served without asking questions because of your conscience. But if someone says to you, this meat was sacrificed in a temple, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you for the sake of conscience. When I say conscience, I don't mean yours, but the others. Why should my freedom be judged by someone else's conscience? If I participate with gratitude, why should I be blamed for food that I thank God for? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, You should do it all for God's glory. Don't offend either Jews or Greeks or anyone in God's church. This is the same thing that I do. I please everyone in everything I do. Not a people pleaser, but I don't look out for my own advantage. I look out for many people so that they can be saved. Follow my example, just like I follow Christ. That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And uh, kind of a Awkward thanks, because there's some tough things in there for us to be thankful for. A tough lesson. And uh, it reminds me of the role of the parent that God plays. And actually, a friend of mine, Gus, while Lauren, my beautiful wife over there, was pregnant with our firstborn, Charlotte, a few years ago, three years ago, I think it was, he was telling me the, the lessons he's learned as a father. And he was saying, you know, one of the biggest things you'll learn as a parent, as a father is about the Father's love for us, God's love for us, God's children. And I was like, yeah, that's good. I'm looking forward to learning that. But I didn't know what he meant because I hadn't yet experienced it. I kind of thought the Father's love, it's just this thing that's unchanging, unconditional, it's constant, and it's, uh, it's really nice because even though we don't do anything to deserve it, he gives it freely. I kind of thought of it more as this idea of loving on people, but not actually bringing yourself to be affected by them, as to love them, as to be kind of drawn to them, attracted to them, love them, like them. Does God actually like us? That's what I didn't understand yet. Then we had Charlotte. And then we had Wesley as well. And with both of these delightful children, 
Um, and if you haven't met, yet, met them yet, then, um, well, Wesley's right there, ladies and gentlemen. But also, Charlotte's back there. You should volunteer with River Kids, a little plug for them right now, and you can be around our delightful little child. But any parent is going to think this about their children. My parents probably still think this about me. I'm not sure why, but they still, I believe, do delight in me. And um, when you delight in something like God did in his own son, Jesus, at Jesus' baptism, he said, uh, you are my son. I love you. I delight in you. It's kind of a paraphrase, but it's what it says in the gospel accounts. He's saying that he likes Jesus. Jesus brings God the Father joy. And the same thing is true about us in God's own eyes. But when this joy is brought to him, there's also great sorrow that can come. When there's pain or suffering or even just struggles that the child is going through. So when Jesus goes to the cross, we don't think that... um, I don't think, I don't believe that God's just so distant and just on looking like, yep, my wrath had to fall on him in this way. But is there with him suffering? His heart is breaking with his son as his body is breaking on the cross. And so we don't have this distant God. We have this parenting God. Not just the Heavenly Father, but one who is doing the act of parenting God's children. And parenting is hard. I'm sorry, my parents, um, for how hard it's been to parent me still and my own children in ways. Um, And I thank you. Um, But uh, it's also a joy. One of the things that's been hard for us recently with Charlotte is uh, knowing about this. uh, I have one today. It's uh, this device in my hands and screen time. I mean, anyone... I think, who's in this room, has to deal with this thing in their own lives and maybe in their children's lives as well. We are pretty strict on what we'll allow with our little two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, but sometimes she wants to look at pishis, she calls pictures or photos on our phones. And if it's like before the sun comes up, it's pretty easy for us to just say, okay, here it is. Uh, unlock photo app and back to sleep for another minute, right? She's only going to look at it for a minute or two. And then like 10 minutes goes by, and if it's gone that long, it's really hard to pry that thing out of her little hands. They're strong. She gets attached to it in maybe an unhealthy way. And I don't know, maybe I have an unhealthy attachment. I look at my phone, according to some app, more than two hours on a daily basis, And uh, that's um, uh, my modeling as a parent for our children, what it looks like to interact with this thing. It can become something that I give a little bit too much attention to, that I give a little bit too much of my time to, and that sucks me in. Now, there's really good things that come from a phone, and I'm thankful for the way that I can connect with people and and arrange things without having to, like, whatever they used to do. I don't really know. Um, but, uh, but it's something we're working on. So Paul, he knows what it's like to be a parent. I'm, he didn't apparently have biological children, it seems, according to the records, but he did have spiritual children. And although it's God, the Father, who adopts us all into God's great family, the kingdom or family of God, um, it's... 
Paul, who says he's like the surrogate father to the Corinthian church in chapter 4. And so he cares for them like his children, like his own children. And he's teaching them in this section of scripture a lesson from history, saying, I care for you so much, I don't want to see you suffer. I don't want to see you in the pain that our ancestors have gone through. Because the thing that we're talking about today, idolatry, is it's not new to our culture, to our time. I mean, calling an iPhone an idol is, is a really minor thing. It's a commodity uh, that we buy, and then mine's only four years old, but the, 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 the phone jack, or whatever this thing, the headphone jack doesn't work anymore, so I can't even use it as an iPod or whatever I'm listening to music with. But, um, oh, I need a new one, right? Because I don't know if you can repair that. It doesn't seem like it. So then I'm going to have to toss this one out, and I don't know what's going to come of it. I don't know where the waste goes. But it, it, it's this thing that um, it keeps on cycling through our lives, always wanting something new, and it's kind of insatiable. Um, probably the things that we scroll through, whether it's news or Instagram or whatever, are pretty much designed to keep that appetite alive and going and never, never actually satisfy us. So this idolatry, like I said, is not new to our generation. It's not new 12 years ago with the iPhone. It is something that's happened throughout time. And our ancestors in the faith, whether it's the Corinthian church or the Israelites in the wilderness out of Egypt, um, experience this as well. So let's look at the Israelites in Egypt, or sorry, in um, the wilderness briefly, and talk about that and see what we can learn from them. That's Paul's message for us today, partly. So he gives a warning about the golden calf. That golden calf was something that the, um, the people... They thought they needed. They got a little bit impatient. You see, they were hanging out at the base of this mountain. Moses, the great leader, was on top of the mountain. And he'd been up there for maybe up to six weeks or so, 40 days and 40 nights, receiving the instructions on how to live a good life from God. But they were just down there waiting around, twiddling their thumbs, and they were tired of that. And they said to Moses' brother Aaron, Hey, we don't know where this Moses guy is. Why don't you... Give us some gods that can lead us, and we can worship. And so he said, I don't know what to do. They want this thing. I'm not sure if I should give it to them or not. I guess I'll give it to them. And so he said, give me your earrings. They all had fancy jewelry on because they plundered the Egyptians on the way out of Egypt as they walked out in military formation, not on their own strength, but on God's deliverance. And so they took some of this jewelry. They gave it to Aaron And he turned it into this calf, this calf, this image, this idol, this shiny thing, sparkly, glimmery, like a new phone or a new car, a new house. It was new, and it was nice to look at. And the people said, here are the gods that brought us out of Egypt and will continue to lead us. And these are the gods of Hard work. It wasn't easy leaving. These are the gods of self-reliance. We're no longer slaves in an empire, but we're on our own. We're pioneering new grounds. We have a destiny in mind. And we're going to become a great people. We have a great future. This is the idea. And they had kind of consolidated, solidified these dreams, these hopes, these aspirations that they'd had. 
But apart from recognizing the lordship of God, the one who delivered them, and they put it in this object. And a calf is not accidental, that it does represent the future. It represents the future because it's, it's young. And it, it's something that's just been born not so long ago. And so it's going to grow up. And the people knew that they were going to grow up too. And we have a tendency to think about the future quite a lot. Many of our thoughts are thinking forward and planning and calculating and preparing. And it's not a bad thing, but it can be almost the only thing that sometimes we think about. But it's also fertility. A calf represents that the mother did, was fertile and was able to give birth to this calf. And the fertility could be the fertility of uh, the land, you know, and growing things. That's what the, the, the Israelites ended up wanting once they finally got to their own land. They wanted fertility, and that's what many of the ancients would worship, gods of fertility. Now, we have other types of fertility today, more like uh, fortunes. You know, we want to have good investments and plant our seeds in places where they'll grow and, and have a good return. And it's not a bad thing, of course, but it's not the only thing. And... Um, one more thing that it can represent is um, fertility, fortune, future. Maybe I already said it. The, uh, oh, the fortune of the, um, that it was going to be all their own, that they were going to acquire and amass, and this was something that was going to be an insatiable appetite, though. But what happened was Moses came down the mountain, and he saw this testable thing, and he crushed it up, and he put it in the fire, and then he took the ashes and put them in water and made them drink it. So they really did consume this thing that their hearts had desired, and it became something that um, never satisfied them, and many of them fell because of the, the evil of this worship. Now, it's not just a bad thing because God says so. God says so because it's bad for us and it breaks us in a lot of ways. It breaks down our relationship with God. God's the one who knows us most truly. God's the one who created us in his own image and knows that what we need is a relationship with him if we're going to flourish, if we're going to thrive. St. Augustine says, Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. God's the one for whom our hearts really long. And he's our firm foundation we can really trust. Any sense of security that isn't found in God is going to be some false security. And so this God um, teaches us to trust him and teaches us to, that we should find our true identity in him and our belonging, who we are and where we find ourselves and our purpose, what we can do. In him, anything else that would attempt to sell us an alternative, ultimate sense of these things is an idol. Anything that you cannot afford to lose, without which life would be not worth living, is an idol. For me, I have an insatiable appetite for knowledge or learning or, or school sometimes, and I've been in school almost all my life. And it's um, not a bad thing to learn. Proverbs says, you know, young person, gain wisdom, seek understanding. And 
Maybe I've taken that a little bit too far sometimes, down some rabbit holes and gotten caught up in, in my mind. And even in sermon preparation, I can, I can spend too much time on the things that um, are good, but not the best. And so I, um, I have to watch out that my own desire to acquire more knowledge doesn't take over uh, my heart and my imagination and my life or the life of my family. Also, it's a way that it can creep into my relationships with other people. So it, not only does it hurt when we place something as an idol in our lives, the relationship we have with God, and then also the relationship we have with ourselves, but with other people. Sometimes when I meet another person, who I also sense pretty smart, pretty good at learning things, I, I, I will try to push them to the limit of knowing do I know more than them? And that's, that's, that's vulnerability for me to share that with you because I'm mostly a private person. It goes with my Enneagram type, um, which is also why I have this avarice or greed for knowledge. But we all have our own idols and our own things that draw us uh, into uh, a kind of a pit of despair and loneliness and anxiety about not having enough not having enough of whatever it is. It could be uh, good things like friends. We love community here. But if all that we are concerned about is people liking us, and this is why I was careful to say when Paul says he tries to please everyone, he's not a people pleaser. And as I think about our Hume Lake leaders um, getting ready to be awesome cabin leaders, and some of them are here today, and I'm so thankful for them, it's, it's a tension to love the people in your cabin well, love the students in your cabin well, the campers there, but not just want them to like you. I mean, you want to relate and you want to have fun, but when it's all about you, there's a sense of insecurity that that comes out and then you end up doing things for the wrong reasons. And it can hurt the relationships with those you're leading or those you're leading with, your peers. And and it can also... um, when we see others just as competition, it can lead us into um, wanting to grab things that are not our own and lead into a, a greed that expands uncontrollably. And when greed gets out of control, violence ensues. We won't go there. Uh, the things that we like, the things that we love, sometimes can get out of hand. And they're, like I said, they're good things. A good GPA not a bad thing, but it's not the only thing. A spot on the team, it's a good, t- good thing to do, good thing to have, but it's not the only thing. Or that thick packet in the mail from the university, that's your top choice, you know? Uh, it's good to go to college, I think so, but it's not the only thing. And a successful career, if that's all your life is about, apparently there's this new thing, it's not workaholism, but workism. It's not that people work so much, but they they identify themselves by what they do, by what they produce. And that's never going to satisfy. We are going to burn out eventually. Um, And so where can we find our true identity? Where can we find our true purpose? Where can we find our true belonging? Well, idols will not supply it. Only God can supply it. So when we run away from idols, as the little outline says. We run toward something good. We can't just run away 
from one thing, we will end up running into another if we don't know where we're going. We will find something else that will make us want it, but not ever able uh, to satisfy us. So we run to Jesus. And why do I say Jesus? Jesus is the one who knows us. We were made in his image. When I said earlier that uh, Jesus was baptized and said, by God, I love you, and you're my son, and I delight in you, this is the same thing that God says about us because of the work of Jesus. And so this is what I put before us this morning, that the emancipating God, the one who made a way where there was no way, like we sang earlier, for the, the people in Egypt and the Exodus, they came through the Red Sea and out into the wilderness, or for those who were in exile for 70 years, and he made a path for them in the wilderness, Again, making a way where there was no way to return to their homeland, it seemed. Or with Jesus showing up on the scene, the fulfillment of time, when the time was right. He came and he made a way where there was no way for those who were lepers, he cleansed. The lame were made to walk. Blind received their sight. Mute could speak. Deaf could hear and the demon possessed were healed, and he preached the good news to the poor. The good news is of a God's abundance, the abundance of God's provision and love, which alleviates the anxiety that's so strong among us. It makes room for generosity and for sharing. So when I say sharing in the life of Jesus, literally, we share in Jesus' life, we take part in it, but we also share that life with each other. And we get to share that this morning at the communion tables. The communion tables are here every week, and we get to celebrate communion every week as a beautiful practice, a reminder of who we are, that we are one body here because of Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection, that we can come forward in our own brokenness, that we do have these things to which we attach ourselves in unhealthy ways that we do tend to go after idols, just like our ancestors in the faith. But we are being made new in Jesus as we say, you are Lord of the earth and everything in it. Everything belongs to him. And we say, you, God, have provided a way out. God is faithful. He won't allow us to be tempted beyond our abilities and will supply a way out so we can endure it. And this can be that way out. This, this can be not only a practice we do on Sunday mornings, but it's something that we actually gain new lenses through doing this. We take the body and the blood of Jesus within our own body, and we go out into life, and then we no longer see others as competition or uh, things as things just to be consumed, but we see the earth and the fullness of it belonging to God and all the other creatures being part of this beautiful creation that God is making new, and we find ourselves taking part in that. And so we begin to share the life of Jesus. The life goes with us, literally in our bodies, and we can bring Jesus' presence with us. We can serve others. We don't look only out for our own advantage, but the advantage of the others, as Paul mentions as well. And so that's when maybe we are... River Student Ministries, uh, Tide, or Rush leaders, or uh, 
Hume Lake leaders, definitely not looking out for their own advantage there. Sleepless, uh, yeah, giving, 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 and um, yet it is rewarding. Or people who are serving Reignite Hope. Plenty of people from our church. Um, I celebrate you. Uh, those who worked so hard at ShareFest this year and, and other years in Baja Bound, LA Mission, the Align International that Jacksons are about to leave on a trip to Africa and, and serve um, there and, and share the love of Jesus. Give, get, go. We talk about soccer. This is a soccer ministry. RBI Hits. RBI Hits is a wonderful thing. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's recycling, baseball items, helping impact tomorrow. And that's a, a bringing uh, used baseball equipment, these things that uh, are no longer useful here maybe, but are really cherished and, and a great gift and a joy to those who are in the Dominican Republic. And uh, the Zane family leads the way in that, and it's beautiful. I think of Yambi, Rwanda, and Plant with Purpose. And these are places where there's really work going on that's connecting us with our neighbors globally and also with the land itself and helping restore our relationship with the land as we've so often abused it. Our prayer team and our care team, are uh, they're undercover and they're invisible often in the church, but they do amazing work. And uh, it's evidence to me that God is making a way where there's no way. That is, there's, there's not this idea of everyone for themselves here, but we're looking out for the good of the others, and I praise God for that. Our lives, my life, is an ongoing contestation between the desire to worship these things and the true desire that I have in me to follow the Son and to have this beautiful kind of brokenness that he provides me, that I don't have to be standing on my own strength. The weakness of God is greater than the strength of humans. And this, I can be truly who I'm called to be in him. And I have one story, and then we're going to go to communion. Um, I have a friend, and I hope he's okay with me saying this, but a couple years, or not so long ago, at Hume Lake, he was sharing with me uh, this struggle that he had experienced with a potential idol in his own life, and that was baseball for him. And he was a little bit worried, was baseball more important to him than God? And, you know, sometimes he has to go to baseball rather than church, and sometimes he's got, like, practice rather than youth group, and so he didn't want anything to get in the relationship between him and God and wanted to make sure that, um, that he was able to faithfully follow Jesus but still play baseball because he liked it. He enjoyed it. And it's fun. And he's good at it. And so he's using his God-given gifts and talents in this way. And I was so humbled by the spiritual discernment that he was doing, by, by his conviction, by him starting to wrestle with these things at a very young age. And I didn't have an answer for him of like, here's what you should do, son. Uh, I don't call anyone son. Um, but I also didn't... Um, I, I didn't want to steer him in a way that would take his autonomy in the matter away. I celebrated what he's going through, and I want to learn from him. And what I've learned from him is that he is bringing the presence of Jesus to his baseball team, to the guys that he plays with, and to the life that's there. It's growing. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, baseball included. 
And even if the only Spectrum can play to the Dodgers, that's, that's another issue. But the, um, the beauty that has happened is our Tide group, um, it, it's grown so much because of his witness on his baseball team and, and others. But, but they are making this their mission field. They're living into their calling in Christ as agents in God's big kingdom, the family of God. They are doing their part in sharing in Jesus and sharing Jesus with others. And so whether you eat or drink or play baseball, do all this to the glory of God. I'm going to pray and then we'll go to communion. Heavenly Father, your name is so holy and we know that your fullness is in heaven but we also experience your presence here on earth. And we thank you for your son who's taught us the holiness of your name. And that name truly is Father. And you delight in us. And we delight in you. So we invite you to continue to bring your kingdom and, and, uh, and bring us more into your presence on earth as it already is in heaven. We pray that you'll forgive us for the ways that we've gone after idols, the ways that we've put things in your place. And we pray that the ways that others have done this as well, we can forgive them, that we don't hold things that we see in other people's lives against them, but as you have forgiven us, we forgive each other, and we give each other grace, and we work with each other to turn to you. We thank you for all of your provision, which is abundant. We know that um, even if we fall, you will provide a way out. And we pray that you'll lead us in good paths and deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.